All right, on our, uh, on our um, alphabetical series, we come to the letter S, and what have I chosen? I, I decided to talk about suicide. Suicide begins with S, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, and um, it has become a topic that uh, is very important to us, especially in the United States of America right now. We never thought that it would be uh, but it is, and as this takes place more and more in our society, we ought to know what we think about it and what, uh, what the Bible says about it. This uh, week, Ann and I watched a uh, 2020 uh, program on uh, the Columbine shooting. You remember two names, Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, or the two teenage boys, 18 years old, who uh, uh, did that in 1999. We were, we were living in, in Fort Collins, Colorado, just 50 miles away uh, from where Columb Columbine's in kind of South Denver. And uh, when it happened, you know, it just kind of shook us all because it was a new kind of thing. Just think now where we've been in, in 15, 16, 17 years since that time, and now these kinds of shootings are not only all over our country, but all over the world, uh, and uh, we wonder why that's happening. Uh, in clicking on their names on a just a simple Google search, and uh, it gives the dates of these boys. You know, they're both 18 when this when this happened. And it says at the time of their death, suicide by gunshot. Well, really, that that is what happened uh, when when in the uh, documentary about them, they interviewed the parents, and you know it's got you, your heart goes out to a mom that tried to raise a boy, little cute little boy pictures, and you know little things as they grew up, and then you can see the transformation almost visibly, and you know as they go through the teenage years, the you know the the look changes, the dress changes, the the markings, the trench coat, and all of that until finally they they get to this. But really, uh, as they went back and looked at the uh, emails and the various different things, online things that these boys were involved in, they wanted to die. They, they wanted to take their own life. They were frustrated with this or that or, you know, whatever. And uh, this is the way they decided to do it, kind of to get back at those who had been making fun of them and so forth. And it's kind of a terrible thing, really. Um, also online, of course, you, you can find thousands and thousands of facts and statistics about suicide. It, just a couple examples. The annual suicide rate right now is 12.93, or, or, or 13 people per 100,000. So for every 100,000 people here... Uh, 13 of them are going to commit suicide. Uh, men die three and a half times more than women do by suicide. Uh, on average, this is amazing if it's correct, 117 suicides per day. 117 per day. That is amazing, isn't it? Um, and... Uh, 
they say that it is the highest rate is actually middle age, not not teenage. Though teenage suicide rates are rising rapidly, uh, the highest rates are still middle age and white men, in particular. Um, as a matter of fact, white males middle age are seven out of ten suicides. So that's pretty amazing too. Now. Depending on what website you get this off of, you know, and websites are websites, you know, uh, but most of these facts are generally the same. But here on this one, the last thing they say is firearms account for almost 50% of all suicides. So they have to kind of get their dig in there, you know, for anti-gun and gun control and so forth. Uh, as if maybe we eliminate guns, we'd eliminate suicides. I really doubt it. There have always been killings. Socrates chose hemlock, but he still found a way to do it. You know, Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> poison, you know, uh, took their own life, but they found a way to do it. Judas hanged himself. Uh, there are always ways to kill yourself if you want to commit suicide. Uh, if, if guns happen to do it well. Th so I found at the bottom of these lists there was always a little dig about firearms, you know. Um, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. for all ages. Um, again, this other, another site gives the 12.5 suicides per 100,000 and so forth. Um, they say a death by suicide in the U.S. every 12.3 minutes. As we heard up, you know, 117 a day, 12.3 minutes. Uh, depression affects 20 to 25 percent of Americans ages 18 and plus in a given year. Um, 38,000 Americans every year, this one said. Yeah, so that may be right. I don't know. That sounds high to me. And so forth. So, uh, the, you know, in a, in a particular website, when they talk about depression, you know, they they see that. But obviously, a person that takes his own life is pretty depressed. Somebody that that does that, whether by mass shooting and and intending to die in the process, or just jumping off a bridge or something. I don't know. Obviously, uh, depression is part of it. Well. Uh, you know, from from our perspective, from a, a Christian perspective, we we might we might point to things that have developed in our lifetime and say, you know, the reason why we it is so common and so many people are taking their lives may be due to a lot of things that the way that we've been raising these kids and bringing them up. I mean, again, we, when we watched that documentary, both Klebold and Harris were immersed in video games, online this and that, and, and all of the dark side of, you know, teenage life. And if you mix with that uh, addictions and things like that, it makes it worse. So uh, that, as those things have grown, so have the result of those things. But consider the fact that what if, if you teach a child from the time they're born that they are really no more than an animal, we're we're just a higher evolved animal, then what's the immorality of taking the life, you know, of a human being as opposed to shooting an animal if you went hunting? You know, what's the difference? And I have seen, you know, testimony of of uh, kids who say such things, you know, it's just, it's no more wrong 
than uh, anything else like that. Uh, humanism has devalued that life to where, you know, we're on the same level. Uh, we, we may not believe, of course, in afterlife. Someone who grows up not believing in God, not believing in, doesn't know anything about the Bible, thinks that really by taking their life, it's the end of it all. This is the end of their existence. To me, one of the most terrible things about suicide is this person's about to realize that a life of pain and suffering is just to be about to begin. And imagine ha having a few frustrations in this life, taking your life, and then like the rich man in Luke 16, lifting up your eyes in torments, being in flame, and, and wishing all you had to deal with was what you had a few minutes ago. Uh, how terrible is that? And yet that's where people are sending themselves. And of course, when it comes to terrorists who believe that they're going to die and go to heaven with, you know, all of the promises that some religion makes to them, uh, they have the, they're going to have the same regrets too because they're not going to end up there. They're going to end up uh, in hell itself and, and uh, with no way out. So suicide is a terrible door to eternity for anybody, I think. Uh, and it's a shame it has to happen, but it does. Um, in an article that I had for, for some time from a, a book put out, this is a series of books put out by Dallas Seminary some years ago, maybe 20 years ago now, uh, on vital contemporary issues. And one of the issues was this. And I thought this, this uh, author... Uh, it was, it, it was interesting when he said, what is suicide? When an ethical term is being defined, a proposed definition should explain the ordinary language intuitions of people of goodwill. Don't you love the way they, they write? So he says, um, for example, uh, a person despairing of life leaves a note behind and jumps off a bridge. Okay, suicide. But secondly, a soldier captured in war takes a capsule in order to avoid a torturous death and hide secrets from the enemy. Is that suicide? A truck driver, foreseeing his own death, drives off a bridge to avoid hitting children playing in the road. A hospitalized cancer patient with six months to live shoots himself in order to save his family from unneeded psychological and financial suffering. A terminally ill patient, realizing death is imminent, requests that he not be resuscitated again if another heart failure occurs. Or a Jehovah's Witness refuses a simple blood transfusion for religious reasons and subsequently dies for lack of blood. Which are suicides and which are not? Each one, a man caused his own death man or woman. So uh, he concludes simply by saying, case one above of the elderly man jumping off the bridge is clearly a case of suicide. The suicide clearly involves at least a person's death and that person's involvement in his or her own death. In a suicide, a person must willingly bring about his or her own death. This insight is expressed in what might be called the standard definition of a suicide. A suicidal act involves the intentional or termination of one's own life, and so forth. So there's, there's some ways, he's pointing out, that uh, you know, some things that one person might call suicide, maybe another person might not. 
but uh, not all taking of another person's life, uh, you know, or not all of taking a person's life is suicide. Uh, we uh, take people's lives for various reasons, whether self-defense, whether justice, uh, and things like that. And uh, sometimes people do take their own life, but it's not suicide. A hero, we, we would call a man a hero who, who risks his own life to save someone else's and dies in the process. I mean, you know, that's not necessarily suicide. So uh, that could happen. I, have you known people who have committed suicide? You know, if you've ever known someone or been involved in it, even distantly, it's a, it's a terrible situation. Now, good can come out of it. Uh, you know, I remember a family that eventually got saved and came into our church, but the reason we, the, the way we contacted them, this out in Colorado, was that their son shot himself in his bedroom. And so this, this family had no church, no connection, and their next door neighbor were members of our church. And so through a contact with their next door neighbor, I was able to visit with the family, did the funeral. And, you know, it's interesting. You can do a funeral for someone usually, and there might be a few people come. But you do a funeral for a teenage boy who shoots himself, and your church is so full you can't seat everyone. It's just one of those things. So you preach the gospel, and you tell people as clearly as you can uh, the truth about circumstances. But anyway... Uh, the father of that family was saved when he was a, a younger man and never told his sons about Christ and never took them to church, did anything about it. You can imagine the pain that he went through. But through this, his wife got saved, a younger brother got saved, and became good members, and they're still members of, of that church. So good can come out of it. And by the way, later, the second son died of kidney failure, and they lost their second boy too, but at least this time, uh, he knew he, he was saved, and, and there was a lot more comfort in that. So good things can come of it. Uh, you know, I've known pastors of churches who've committed suicide for various reasons, frustration or whatever, and imagine what that does to a community. Imagine what that does to, you know, families in the church and young people and, and so forth. So if you've known it or been around it close, it's, it's a terrible thing. And uh, we should uh, uh, pray that it doesn't happen to anyone we know. Let me just make a couple points. One is, you know, there, first of all, there is kind of a libertarian point of view in our society today that suicide is okay, especially in, some, in controlled circumstances. If you want to take your own life, we even have, we even have libertarian-type people pushing for euthanasia. Uh, let's go ahead and end older life sooner because older life is unproductive and uh, to, uh, a drain on society, and it would be better for us all. Uh, is, is that any different than pushing to end life in the womb uh, for the same reasons that, uh, you know, because those lives will be a drain on the mother or something like that? So this libertarian view uh, okays a lot of various things like this. 
Uh, one is that it's kind of utilitarian. Uh, people have problems, and this is a good way out of it. And if you have problems, this is a way to get out of your problems. Die early, or if, you, if there's life in, in the womb and that's going to be a bother to you, take that life so that it doesn't bother you. This isn't a lesson on abortion, but it's, it's hard to believe, isn't it? That, that we have this attitude that uh, a mother has a right to her body and therefore the right to take another life because of her body. You know, how terrible the way we think these days. But there's that utilitarian view toward, toward suicide also. And of course, uh, an end to suffering. And, and some people, when they're suffering and, and can't escape that suffering, uh, suicide has often been a way out. Uh, again, a Christian has a different way of dealing with that. A non-Christian maybe has no way of dealing with that suffering. But again, how terrible then to take yourself out of that kind of suffering and put yourself into an eternal suffering. You know, it's just, it's a sad, sad situation. Um, you know, there have always been uh, these beliefs from Buddhism on that when we die, we become one with the universe anyway. You know, our soul, our body, we go back to the earth, Mother Earth and we become part of her and we become part, you know, or whatever. Or maybe some view that uh, departed loved ones are ghosts that are floating around uh, or even angels, you know. Uh, you've heard me say before that, uh, you know, we, we hear now somebody dies, especially a hero or especially a child or something like that, and we make angels out of them, you know, uh, before the funeral is done. And, and, and just because a person died in some unique way, uh, we make them out to be uh, a saint of God by what we do at their funeral and what we say about them when they die. And so we have this idea that, you know, what you do is when a person dies, you go back and search for all good things about that person. You can find some good things probably about anybody. And since they had all those good things, that person surely, you know, in heaven as an angel playing his harp or whatever, you know. Or now people nowadays people see near have near death experiences. And so they have this near-death experience, and they see Jesus, and they see everybody, and there's, everything's wonderful after life, and they come back and they say, I don't fear death because there's no, you know, all this talk about hell and all of that isn't real. I was there, and I saw these wonderful things, and that's what, that's what death is about. If there ever was a lie of Satan, it is usually in these near-death experiences, if you ask me. Um, and uh, then, uh, again, a utilitarian view sometimes says it, it, it's good for you to relieve others of their suffering. So if you're being a bother to them in your old age, it's good to take your life and spare them the bother. And uh, those of you who have had to help in those areas, it's the last thing you would want, isn't it? To have somebody that you're taking care of think that they're going to help you by doing that. But anyway, there are those that advocate that kind of thing. And then the, besides the utilitarian aspect, there's the autonomous aspect. In other words, this is my own life. I can do with it what I want. 
Uh, if I want to end it, I'll end it. Uh, and maybe that's even more persuasive to, to people. Uh, and yet we as believers know it's not your own life. God gave you life. And this life comes from God. And we'll go back to an eternal dealing with God. Um, and so is the decision to live just yours? No, it's God's. And, and we as believers believe that life is, is precious. We fight for it. And when God determines that it's time for that life to end, then it will end. But that's not my decision to make. All right? So um, let me give you uh, four answers to that kind of thinking. Number one, it, it is overt individualism. Uh, that is, I am the center of this universe. I am the God of my world. What I say goes. Now, you know, I, I always smile at the word individualism because in political talk, which we're hearing too much of these days, and after last night, I'm ready not to vote for anybody, but, but you know, individualism, in, in political talk sometimes is a good thing. You're not, you don't have to rely on government for everything in your life, all right? Individual accomplishment, individual uh, uh, effort, I'm for that. But, in this, but what we're talking about here is individualism in the sense of, of making your life the center of everything, even above God. And you, you are the, the God of your world. And in that kind of individualism, you know, is the, is the person who says, it's my life. I have the right to take it if I want to take it. And the fact is, in that sense, it's not your life. God gave it to you, and, and it's a sacred thing. You're made in God's image, uh, and you need to know that. So uh, people are not free to do just what they want. Uh, we... Uh, have to do what God wants us to do. I have some uh, verses here, um, I think. Where'd they go? In um, 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I, what I'm illustrating by that verse is... Uh, there, are, there may be things that you want, it's not things that you ought to do, right? Isn't life filled with that kind of thing? If you take individualism to its extreme, what you're saying is anything I want to do is right for me to do, and that's never true. Uh, there are lots of things you may want to do. Uh, it's not the right thing to do. The reason why you're in church this morning is that you didn't do what you wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> and that was sleep longer <laughs> this morning. So you made yourself not sleep longer uh, because that wasn't the right thing to do. Secondly, it fails to see interpersonal relationships. Um, you know, why can't people just leave me alone? Why, why can't you just leave me alone, let me do what I want to do? And any time a human being gets themselves into such a corner as that, they're in trouble. That's what happened to 
Klebold, and as we saw this uh, Dylan Klebold grow up, he, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he's by himself, and then all of a sudden the bedroom doors closed all the time, and then all of a sudden he's immersed in these little games all the time, and just withdraw, 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 until you talk yourself into doing things like this, and so uh, it fails to see how much your life is connected with other people, and maybe we don't realize that. It, it, in the young years of our life, but we should realize that as we grow older, we, we understand, uh, you know, our relationship with our uh, parents, we understand our relationship with our kids, and we understand how important all of that is, okay? You remember Paul saying, using the illustration in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body, you know, how we're all joined together. Uh, we understand that as believers. It's hard for a non-believer to understand that, but they should even, even with human beings. Thirdly, uh, suicide in this manner, the libertarian view of it, promotes a private morality again, and that is, uh, you know, it's my right to do what I want with my life. It's my right to do what I want with uh, my body. It's my right to do what I want with, with this or that. That private morality, uh, we, we are promoting in our world because we don't any longer believe in God. If we believe in God, then he becomes the ultimate morality. We do things that we do because there is a God ultimately, and all things go back, all decisions will go back to him as the standard. And what God is and what God has said becomes our standard for what is a lie and what is the truth, and what is immoral and what is moral, what is good and what is bad. All of those things go back to God. Take God out of the picture, and you have no ultimate standard for morality. If we are just, uh, you know, uh, maybe I should say advanced atoms, you know, floating around, we're, we're just made up of the same thing that this desk here is made up of, the, but the atoms that make up my body are just uh, moving a little faster than the ones that make up this wood, and I'm no real different because I've... We've, this piece of wood here, this desk, and I have all evolved from the same thing. We're all made out of the same material. What difference am I than this desk then? We all came from something, the same explosion somewhere back in eternity past, you know, wherever. So who's to say what's right and what's wrong? I mean, think about it. Uh, so, so there are these people who can get all upset if you cut a tree down. And why is that? Because to them, the life is equal. The life that that tree has and the life that you have. Or some little snail darter or whatever. It's all, it's all the same. So this private morality that we have uh, uh, causes us to think this way. And then fourthly, it, uh, it proposes... Uh, suicide, that is, proposes the lowest possible ethic that there can be. Uh, the lowest possible ethic. As, as long as it doesn't harm anyone else, then I can do it. That's really the lowest possible ethic. As long as it doesn't harm anyone, as long as it's my choice and that's it, then I can do it. And that's probably the lowest you can get. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read you a little bit from, you know the name G.K. Chesterton? Uh, 
100 years ago, English writer, much like C.S. Lewis, as a matter of fact, uh, 50 years after that, C.S. Lewis kind of said that he followed uh, Chesterton's writings. And uh, uh, Chesterton, he was a Roman Catholic, and C.S. Lewis was an Anglican, but very conservative writers, kind of like you might see today a very conservative Roman Catholic you know, politician like Anton Scalia, who was a very, very conservative, but Roman Catholic. And, and uh, in his book called Orthodoxy, uh, Chesterton says, not, uh, not only is suicide a sin, it is the sin. It is the ultimate and absolute evil, <laughs> the refusal to take an interest in existence the refusal to take the oath of loyalty to life. The man who kills a man kills a, uh, kills a man. The man who kills himself kills all men. You've got to follow him here a little bit. As far as he is concerned, he wipes out the world. His act is worse, symbolically considered, than any rape or dynamic outrage. For it destroys all buildings, it insults all women. The thief is satisfied with diamonds, but the suicide is not. That is his crime. He cannot be bribed even by the blazing stones of the celestial city. The thief compliments the things he steals, if not the owner of them. But the, the suicide insults everything on earth by not stealing it. He defies every flower by refusing to live for its sake. There is not a tiny creature in the cosmos at whom his death is not a sneer. Interesting the way the old writers would, would put things, isn't it? And so that, that's the libertarian view. Now quickly, let me, let me give you four uh, things, I think, from a biblical point of view with some verses that, that I think we should, uh, we should notice. Uh, that suicide is never a moral option. Because morality overrides autonomy. In other words, what is right and wrong always trumps your desire to do what you want to do, as we've said already. We have to ask, what is it that God wants me to do? And if God says, do this, but you don't want to, sorry, God's still right. And suicide falls into that. Number one, uh, life is a gift from the Creator. Of course, we've said that before. The psalmist said, David said in Psalm 139, 14, I praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. Remember he said, thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect and in thy book all my members were written. We are made in the image and likeness of God. And so, Life is a gift from the Creator. That's why in Genesis 9, when Noah comes off the ark and God is establishing human government and giving the responsibility to human beings to enforce the laws, he says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God created he him. So when a murder takes place, the, the real crime is that in that person is the image of God, and you have attacked it and destroyed it. Even James says, uh, you know, with, about the tongue, with the same 
tongue, we bless God, and with the same tongue, we curse men who are made in the similitude of God. What, what is that? So when we, when we curse another human being, we're doing the same kind of thing as a person who murders. Well, suicide then is, is doing the same thing, even if it's doing it to yourself. So the first viewpoint that we have, of course, is that life is from God. Secondly, life does have a purpose. James 4, 14, uh, James says, what, uh, Know ye not what should be on the morrow? What is your life? It's a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. In other words, it's very brief. You better do something right with it. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. And really, suicide is rejoicing in uh, boasting about you have the right to do with your life what you want. But God has a reason for you being here. I think it's a wonderful thing for us to be able to say with the gospel, God loves you, maybe not exactly with the crusade track, you know, and has a wonderful plan for your life. I don't know if it's wonderful or not, but God has a plan for your life. And God knows every hair on your head. He cares more for you than the sparrow that falls to the ground. Are not you uh, better than many sparrows, you know, the Lord said. And so uh, God has a purpose, and when you take it into your own hands to take your life, then you are adjusting God's purpose. You're saying, uh, I'll be in control now. Thank you very much. You didn't do a very good job of it. I'll take over from here. Uh, and then you go immediately to your creator's presence and stand before him, having said that. Thirdly, the fight for life is our stewardship. We should fight for life, not take life. Uh, it's hard enough when we come to decisions about war, capital punishment, things like that, where we purposely have to take another's life, but God commands us to do it. You know, isn't it interesting in the law of Moses when he says, thou shalt not kill, in the same chapter, he says, now when someone does kill, you take their life. Does that make sense to you? It does to me. I mean, if, if God, the giver of life, commands us to do that for that reason, then we have to do it. A just war is the same way. Sometimes you have to kill them before they kill you, and that's what a just war is. So, uh, but otherwise, we fight for our life. Remember uh, Paul on Mars Hill in Acts 17? We should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, for he is not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also of your own poets have said, we also are his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that God is like gold, silver, and, and uh, like idols. And so... Uh, we have uh, a stewardship then with this life that we have. Are, is it right for you to be lazy? No. We, we could show from the Scripture easily that, that uh, you only have so much time. Uh, redeem the time. Redeem the days. Uh, why? Because life is precious, and you are steward over the life that God has given you. And so if we are stewards of it, what right do we have to say, I will no longer be the steward? I will no longer take the stewardship that God has given me. I'll end it right here. 
that is a sin before God, of course. Okay? Um, the creature itself also, Romans 8, shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, that is, the redemption of the body. Life isn't easy. Nobody said you, it'd be problem-free, and that if you have problems, you can opt out of it. Uh, we groan along with the whole creation, and yet we, that is our stewardship. And, and within this groaning and within this pain that we have, we must keep going. Then fourthly, the intentional taking of a life is murder. That is innocent life, I should say, is murder. So John can say, whoso hateth his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Genesis 4, Cain talked with Abel his brother and came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And God will later say, and his blood is crying to me from the ground. And so intentional taking of life is murder, even if it's your life. Uh, that is murder. And then you go into eternity to stand before God as a murderer. The last act before you meet God is to commit murder. I mean, uh, in my article I have in my Lathia out here right now, you know, I make the point about the second coming of Christ. It, knowing that we might see Jesus any minute, that he, that he might rapture us out at any moment, causes us to live holier, not less holy. We, we live better expecting that we might in any moment see him face to face. Then can you imagine knowing that the last thing you'll do is commit murder and then stand before God? All right. So let me leave you with Romans uh, twelve nineteen, kind of as a concluding thought. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine en enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good. Judgment awaits the, the, the uh, saint and the sinner. And though the Christian people have taken their own life, they still will stand at Christ's Bema seat and lose the reward and lose all that they've worked for uh, in such a way. The sinner will stand at the white throne judgment of God and have eternity and hell to face. And hell is no relief from the life that they're suffering. All right, so a few thoughts on suicide, uh, because it is a, a, a topic that, that uh, we're going to see more and more of and face in our, in our society. We ought to have some proper thinking about it. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, thank you then for the word of God, and thank you for the promises of Jesus Christ. Thank you for letting us know that you created us, and you created us in your image and that this life that we have is sacred, precious, and that we are stewards of it. And so, Father, help us to live like that, to talk like that. And then, Father, for those around us who, who have no hope, who, who are without God in this world, help us, Father, to be able to give them words of truth and comfort and words that would heal a, a broken spirit uh, and keep them from hell's fire. 
and deliver their soul uh, into your safekeeping. So help us to be good stewards of this truth, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you for being here in our class this morning.